I want to speak today on a topic, and next week I'll start a, a somewhat of a series. It really is not per se in that eye, but it is a set of sermons that will deal with a specific topic. And the topic that we'll be dealing with starting next week is your journey, your journey to promise. Your journey to promise. And that's what I'll be dealing with. And we'll be talking about the children of Israel, how just from the moment they were saved from Egypt, their journey began. And the journey was to prepare them and to have them equipped so they could walk into promise. And there's so many people that's like, why is it my marriage what I, why, I'm not living the promise. Why is my work, my job, why is it just not, I'm not living the promise, pastor. I know I've come to church every Sunday. I'm not, well, there's a reason. There's a reason why God did not just take them straight from Egypt. In fact, it said in the Bible, he could have easily just told them, here, go this direction. You would have been there in a few days. But instead, he had them go a different direction and wander around in the desert until they could pass the tests that prove they could handle possessing the promise. I, I always use this as a, as a rule for me. You can only possess what you can hold under pressure. What you can hold under pressure, it really isn't yours. It's, it's really not yours. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's marriage, your kids, whatever it is. If, if you say, man, these are driving me crazy. Well, you can't possess it yet. And God's got some things to teach you of how to possess it. You know, I, I just keep falling off the way. I keep messing. Well, there's some, there's some things that you need to learn to learn to possess and so we'll deal with that in the, in the context of the trials, the tests that God placed in front of them and taught them how to walk into the promised land and be prepared to be victorious. Because, because I love being victorious. I love, but in the process, it took me many years of, of testing. God didn't start off by saying, hey, I'm going to move you to forest and somebody's going to donate several million dollars and you're just going to build some buildings. That's not the way God sent me to promise. God said, I'm going to send you over here on Bank Street and Jones. And we're going to spend about five years over here, and we're going to get the junk out of you. And I'm like, ain't no junk in me, God. I'm good. I just need some folks. I just need you to send me some people. He's like, Tim, you couldn't handle if I sent you people. So I always tell pastors this first thing. They're like, well, I wish my church would grow. I said, God has a perfect scripture for you. God added to the church daily as should be added. I said, the reason you are where you are is because you can't handle any more. If you could handle more, God said, I'd be more than happy to give you more. And that hurts our feelings. We just want promise. We just want the promised land. But God says, there's a process. But anyway, that's next week. Okay. <laughs> I'm wasting all my time. Wasting all my time preaching that sermon. So I don't want to preach that sermon. It's not good for me to be locked in the woods for two weeks and nobody to talk to. That's not a good thing. So go with me this morning to Exodus 3. So we're going we're gonna to deal with something in front of this story a little bit and touch a little of it, but it, it really isn't connected. But I want to speak this morning on this one thought. The only one who is in control. The only one who is in control. Here's what the Bible says. Moreover, he said, meaning the Lord, 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. For I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land of good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, his promised land, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That sounded good up until the point where he finally looks at Moses and says, now come now, I'm going to send you. Now, this is what I'm going to do, but I'm going to send you. God is in perfect control. These last few years have been so chaotic, and these last few years have just just ripped our society, our America, into so many shreds because here's what it really revealed. From the moment COVID hit in 2020, And in the the February or March of that year, when school started shutting down and everything, I know because my son, it was his senior year, he was going to finish his baseball season and then head off to the Air Force. And man, we were going to get to watch Nathan play his senior year. We got to watch two games, two little spring warm-up games, and that was it. It was over. Everything was locked down, shut down. Everybody remember masks? Some of y'all still got them, and that's fine. They help a little bit, but masks were going to keep you from ever catching. Remember? You'd never catch anything if you wore the mask. Then we didn't know which kind of mask because they kept giving us the wrong kind of mask. Then finally you figured out unless you had one of those chemical masks, gas masks, that the virus could actually get to you. And then remember we had antibodies and, and we had this antidote. We had this cure. We're going we're to cure coronavirus. We're going to cure it. And they come out with all this medication. If you get these shots, man, the news was telling us, if you get the shot, you'll never get it. That didn't work. People got the shot, got the antibodies, got three antibodies, got all this, got boosters, and still got it. The world kept telling us, we got the answers. We're, we're in control. Isn't that what? I mean, they wanted you to realize we're in control. We're shutting down schools because it's best for your kids. And now we find out through research it was the worst thing that our kids could have went through. We're having all kind of issues because we shut schools down for two years. We got a backlog of education, a backlog of, of, of social problems. We got all of this. No, they didn't have an answer. They weren't in control. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to tell you this is what the world kept saying. We're in control. We've got this. We, don't worry. We Just trust us. And then we go into now and going all the way into this year, and now we ain't got no baby formula. We ain't got no, you know, we just went through Afghanistan, and 
Everywhere you look, as we talked about just a few minutes ago, looking at the news, and hit Yahoo, and it don't take 10 seconds to realize, this place is not under control. But I've come by to tell you that even though Congress may pass another bill, and the president may make another promise, and your representative may tell you, don't worry, we got it. Let me explain this to you very carefully. There's only one person who's in control. There's only one person, and he ain't really a person. He's above that. He made the person. He is God Almighty, and he is still the one who says, when I speak, it'll happen. When I say it, you don't have to question it. If I've declared it, it's done. I I love how they sung that song a while ago, and man, I just wanted to take off running. You said it, and I believe it. You said it, therefore, it is done. That's what the church is supposed to cry. Those aren't just songs to give you goosebumps to make you feel better. Those are songs that are supposed to say, this is what we stand on. If God said it, I believe it. You believe a man got swallowed by a fish? Yes, I do. I believe he stayed there for three days. And I believe the fish finally spit him up. And I believe he preached like he never preached before. And I believe the whole city got saved. Yes, I believe if Daniel was dropped in lion's den and the lions, their mouths would not open to bite him. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a party inside a fiery furnace. They were walking around with the fourth man. And I believe that fourth man is still in there right now waiting for whoever goes through a trial or situation and says, I'll be right there in there with you. I believe he's still in control. He's still the one that is in power. So we came through and, Lord, not counting just family things from us, Nathan went off to Air Force. Taylor got married. My dad passed away. Lord, it's been... But the one promise is, is that God is in control. And I know if you stood up, you'd say, yeah, let me tell you what happened to me over the last year or two. Let me tell you how my life has changed. But I'm still here because God is still in control. Let me give you some promises, some things I want to share with you, just two or three things this morning. Number one is this, and these are important facts you need to realize when we talk about God is in control. Number one, God's purposes always prevails in my plans. God's purposes always prevails in my plans. See, I make a lot of plans. I, I make plans. That's, I, that's my, my gift and my curse is that I dream, that I, I, I see visions, that I see how things ought to be. I see if I meet a person, I see how their life ought to be. If I see a building, I see how it ought to be. If I go to church somewhere that I, I've, I've never been, Elise has to sit there and, and just look at me and say, you're not here to fix anything. And I'm like, yeah, but if they would just do this, and if they would just go over and do this, it doesn't matter. When, when I'm around you, just realize I'm not 
being critical of you. I'm just always dreaming. I, I went into Kirkland's area last night, and it looks awesome, man. It is, it is incredible. The kids are going to have a ball, and, 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 and everything is, is fixed. But even in my mind, I'm like, you know, you could do this, and you could, you could, you know, and it's, it's just the way my mind thinks. And so, yeah, I have plans. I have visions. I have, and all of us do. We have plans of the way we want our life. Go with me to Proverbs 19 and 21. Here's what it says. There are many plans in a man's heart. Every one of you in this room has plans. You have plans of the way your marriage should be. You have plans of the way your kids should act. You have plans of what you're going to do in vacation. You have plans of how you are going to do this. You, have, you, you dream up stuff. You think about stuff. You have plans. As Stacy said a while ago, Lord have mercy. You know what? The reason why he has to say that is because it's not going according to his plans. And the more plans you dream up, the more times you're going to say, Lord have mercy. This is not going right. This is not the way I planned it. This is not, this is not, this can't be right. Moses understood that. You think a man who had plans, here is Moses who he grew up realizing that my mom had pushed me down a little river. I was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. I grew up in all this education. I grew up in a, but my heart's always been for my people. And so he has plans. Man, I'm, I'm telling you what, I'm going I'm I'm to help my people. So he sees an Egyptian one day. It's hurting one of the Israelites and he, and he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand and he thinks, yes, I'm going to be a deliverer. This is a plan. Man, if we work together, we can come out of this. If y'all just let me lead you guys, we, there's two million of you. If you'll just let me lead you, we outnumber them. We can, we can strategically be, man, we, I've got all these plans and then the next day, two Israeli people, Israelites are arguing with each other. And he says, guys, we shouldn't be doing this. We've got a different enemy. And one of them looks at him and says, oh, you're the one that buried that Pharaoh guy. You know, you're the one that killed that Egyptian. I, we know all about you. Scared Moses to death. He realized my plans aren't working. Spent the next 40 years, became a stuttering old man. I'm tired of dreaming. I don't want to dream. I don't want no plans. If you're not careful, you'll get there. But listen, many are the plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. In other words, you make all of these plans, but what God wants is what will happen. You make all these plans of how it's going to be. And then God comes along and says, mm, that doesn't fit it. No, we're not going to open that door. God, open, if you just open this door, if you just, in my life, I can, I can say that I had plans for my life. From the time I was young, I was going to be a, a professional football player. I got to run into one of my old coaches the other day. He came to the snow cone stand where my mom is, Coach Ford. And he's still playing golf. He's like 70, 80 years old. And, and for, as soon as he saw me, man, he said, he said, Tim Lott. He said, I never saw anybody could catch a ball like you. Of course, I swole up like, yeah, yeah. 
He said, you look like you can still play. Oh, yeah, I probably could play a little bit. I'm like, I'm lying out of my teeth. I can't run to the car without hurting. You know how we are. We are, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could if I needed to. I'm thinking, Lord, I don't even want somebody to throw something in my face because I'm not sure I can stop it. But it was, it was plans, and when I was growing up, I had all these plans. I was going to play football, and I was going, and God said, nah, you're going to blow your knee out, and I'm going to let it happen because that football thing, that's just not in my plan, son. But God, that's my plan. I know it's fun, and you can enjoy watching it on TV, but uh, you're not going to be on the TV. And that sounds cold, like God just being cold. No, God just says, I got plans. You should be real glad because I'm standing here today and not on a football field. God says, I got a plan, Tim. I've got a plan for your life. I, I had plans for marriage. I know it sounds strange to y'all that I, just, I was just going to just wait, and then one day Elise just walked up and said, I'm it. That's not how it happened. I had these plans. I dated girls that could play piano. Man, you're talking about, I knew I was called into ministry. My uncles and others, they'd say, now that's the woman you need right there, Tim. Look at her, boy. She can help your ministry. I, I dated some that could sing. I dated some that were connected. They were preacher's daughters of well-to-do preachers. So, therefore, I had a leg in already to... And I'd, I'd go out with some of them, and I'd think, nah, nah. <laughs> you, try to, you know how you try to talk yourself into somebody? That's why I tell y'all, you never marry the person you can live with. Marry the one you can't live without. And then all of a sudden, God says, I got a plan. I'm like, God, what's your plan? It has to be just, it's incredible. He said, I got a Methodist little girl. Huh? She's not even Pentecostal. I go to church with her. You can't even cough in her church. I'm like, if you cough, people turn around like you're disturbing the church service. And I'm, I'm like, where I come from, no, no, we we hitting we hitting the floor. Man, as we started dating, and God says, Tim, I got a plan. And man, God just kept. The more I looked at her, the more I was with her. My heart kept growing. It's like one day I realized I can't live without you. And it's the greatest choice I ever made. We will spend now 30-something years, over 30 years in ministry. It's been my greatest partner. I had all these plans. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll just jump into your plans like Moses. And you won't take time to find out what God's plan is. I had plans of children. I had plans of home. I had plans of all kinds of things. But the plans of a man's heart are many. Nevertheless, the Lord counsels, and that will stand. Go with me to Luke, Luke 2 and 52. I'm going to show you a pattern by which I'll help you in this process of, of wrestling through your plans and connecting them to God's plans. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm a planner, and there are certain things that I, I really work very hard at. And so if you want a pattern, it's real simple. Other pastors use it. I'm not, it's not something new that I'm fixing to show you. But this is a perfect pattern to show you how to grow in your relationship, grow as a Christian. Here's what it says. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. So my life's plan, so, so when I talk about planning and, and doing plans, here's one of the main plans that I work on now is my wisdom. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom. He grew in wisdom. Now, somebody was like, he was God. He already had all the way. No, no, no. Listen to me very carefully. When we talk about him increasing in wisdom and stature, Jesus was supposed to be perfect at whatever stage or level that he was at. You need to understand that. When we say that, that Jesus was perfect, yes, the spiritual Jesus was perfect. But he had to make sure that in the process, he kept the physical Jesus keeping up. So at the age of 12, I know this may give you some good stuff to research. By the age of 12, not at 11, not at 10. Notice now, not at 10 was he standing there. Because they went every year to the, to the synagogue, right? They went every year. But at the age of 12, the Bible says that he stayed behind and his parents thought he was gone. But Jesus just hung out doing what he's supposed to do. You know why? Because at the age of 12, you are considered in Jewish custom a man. You are considered a grown man. So Jesus at the age of 12, his physical was matching his spiritual. So he told his mother a very adequate thing. He didn't say, she didn't correct him when he said this. When she said, you have scared me and your father. You have upset us. You, you, we thought you were with us. You were supposed to stay with us. And he looks at her and he says, did you not know that I must be about my father's? I am a grown man. And I must be about my father's business now. Now, what does he do? The Bible says he goes back. And then what he's talking about here is the next 20 years, almost 20 years until he's 30 years old. Because in Leviticus and this, you understand that you cannot be a priest until the age of 30. You cannot become a priest until the age of 30. So Jesus has to go back home and he has to be obedient unto his parents, continually growing and continually increasing in wisdom and in favor and in stature with God and man so that at the time of 30 years old, he can step out and say, now it is time for me to be the priest that God called me to be. He didn't have to wait to 35 years old or 40 he didn't have to say, well, you know, I'm not quite where I need to be. At every venture in his life, he had made his physical body keep up with his spiritual body. So that's why he was perfect at every season of his life. 
That's why God tells him in the river Jordan, this is my beloved son in whom I am well. How many sermons has he preached? How many miracles? What do you mean? You're pleased. He ain't done nothing. Oh, no, no. I'm telling you, he is perfect. Right where he, he is prepared. So much so that now Satan can go and test him. Does that, that make sense? I know I spent a lot of time there, but that's a good study for you to realize that when Jesus increases, he increased in wisdom. So, Brother Lot, what are you trying to do? Well, I should be a 54-year-old perfection. Now, I would like to tell you that I am, but I'm still trying to keep my body catching up with my now, the greatest compliments I ever get in life, and the greatest compliments you'll get is simply this. Man, you act a lot older than you are. Because the world is always going to be about half of what it's supposed to be. And so if you are striving to say, you know what? I'm a 30-year-old man. I have a family. I have a wife. I have children. Then you ought to act like in the spiritual, a 30-year-old man with a wife and children and know how to handle that. The only way that's going to happen is you have to increase... You don't just arrive, you have to increase. So, Pastor Lot, what do you do? How do you, how do you stay more mature than you are? How, how do you stay uh, uh, above the norm? How do you do this? Well, let me give you some ideas of what Pastor Lot does. Number one, I read. Show me who's reading, I'll show you who will be leading. If you don't read, you're not going to lead. It doesn't matter if you want to be the, a good mechanic. If you're not reading new material, if you're not reading about the new cars that are coming out, the new computer systems that are coming out, you're constantly having to learn. You cannot be, one of the dumbest things I said when I got out of high school was, I'll never read another book in my life. I'm done. I'm through. Thank God I'm delivered. I graduated high school. I have a diploma that says I am not a total idiot. That's all I want to be known as. And I don't have to read no more. My daughter the other day walked up in my office and with, with Elise, and they were just looking for a book for her and, and different things. And, and she'd asked Elise, she said, Dad read, she said, Dad's read pretty much all of these books. And not counting the ones that's in the other building. Are you a reader? What are you reading? I, I study and learn constantly. I'm constantly wanting to learn. Uh, even when I'm up in where I was at and hiking and doing different things, I'm reading the signs. I'm, I'm finding out about different things that go on and, and, and who built this bridge. And I I've constantly want to learn. You have to train yourself to be a learner, to want to know more than you know. And don't be afraid to ask. Let me tell you something about people who, who are knowledgeable. If you will, in humility, come up to them and say, hey, would you help me? I need help in this area. And, and I know you, if you will do that, I've never met an electrician. I've never met a carpenter. I've never met anyone that won't look at you and say, sure, come on. Man, I'll be happy to show you. Why? Because learning, the only thing more fun than learning is getting to show it to someone else. Well, I joke all the time about me and Mark and, and how I'm still teaching him how to fish. And there's nothing more. The only thing better than, than knowing how to do all of that is being able to show him how to do all of that. 
And that's just, we joke about it, and he says the same thing about me. But the fact is, is the only thing better than learning is watching someone who's never done it. And then, but if you've got a haughty attitude, like you already got it figured out, or you, you, let me tell you something, people will pass you by, especially people who know things. They will, they will just walk by you. I know it sounds like, well, why would they do that? Because they just do. They're not going to waste their time. They do not waste time. Spend time learning, studying. I studied leadership. I studied communication. I studied all of those areas in which I need to be proficient. All those areas in which I need, that I know is part of my job, part of what I have. I, I, I try to find every angle that I can. Why are you doing all that study? Because I had no idea that one day I'd be on two or three or four different boards. And it was important when I got on those boards to know how to talk, to how to influence, to how to say what you want to say without making the other person in the other side of the room get mad. Not starting off by saying, well, here's what I think. So communication, you grow in wisdom. Look at the person beside you and ask them, are you growing in wisdom? He grew in stature. Stature, as I said a while ago, it's him keeping up. It's keeping up physically with what he is supposed to be spiritually. Now, let me give you some ideas of understanding this. If you don't plan, you're going to plan to fail. That's all there is to it. If you're not planning, if you don't have a plan, then you will fail. How do you plan your Bible reading? I ain't saying, I don't ask do you read your Bible? Because everybody raised their hand. Oh, yeah, I'll read it. But do you have a plan that gets you through? Do you, how many times have you read the Bible through? Because you have a plan that consistently gets you there. You don't even have to, you don't even have to work hard at that. You can pull up an app that will give you a whole reading plan for the year. It'll pop up every day and, and all you got to do is read it. One of the things I want to do this next year is I want to have one that, that the whole church goes through with me and Elise and we just, we, we take a Bible reading and I will give you devotion from what I read the day before and then we'll read the next day and just do it together. There has to be a plan in your life for Bible reading. You don't just become a knowledgeable person of the Bible. There has to be a plan. One person described it this way. He said, here's what I do, Pastor, every day. Before I ever turn on any social media, I do my Bible reading. So they pick up their phone in the morning, and before they check messages, before they do anything, it is part of their DNA. Because how many of you are going to pick up your phone tomorrow morning? Well, how easy is that? That's a perfect plan. You cannot look up what your mama sent to you. You can't look up what's the next great recipe. You can't look up at what somebody else did on their vacation. You can't look up anything until you finish your Bible reading. Then you can go to your social media. That's simple. Oh, bro, that's simple. It's called a plan. Plans do not have to be complicated. They can be real simple, but you have to have a plan. How about your plan for prayer? Do you have a plan for your prayer life? Do you have an appointment established? Tell me what time of each day you pray. When is the appointment? If you had a doctor's appointment, you fix everything around it to make sure you're at that appointment. 
Well, if I have an appointment to meet with God, that should be the most important appointment on my whole scheduling. But if you don't, if you don't make it an appointment, many times you won't do it. How about your plan to fast? Anybody planning to fast? And I ain't saying some 40-day fast. Lord knows. I, I don't know anybody to do that. That's key. But, but 40-day fast, 21-day fast. I don't care if it's a Daniel fast. You eat fruits and vegetables for 21 days, you are, you are pretty much sick of fruit and vegetables. I'm not telling you that you've got to go to that extreme. And that's fun, great if you do. I've, I've known people to do extreme fasts. But the fact is, is that fasting is part of who you are. You say, I don't believe in fasting. Well, go with me in your Bibles to Matthew. Go to Matthew 6 and 16. Matthew 6 and 16. I don't know if I pulled that one up for them, so they may take them a second to pull that up. But I want to show you something. Matthew 6 and 16 says this. Now, you know that the Bible says in this sermon, he says, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which when you pray, that's what he says, when you pray. And he also says, when you give. When you give, in other words, God expects you to pray. God is expecting you to. But you also understand that God expects every person in this room to fast. When you fast. I can tell you, if you don't fast, there will be certain battles you cannot win. And you will get very frustrated wondering why this battle never gets defeated. Because the Bible, Jesus told them, some things come only by prayer and fasting. Some things will not be defeated until it becomes so important that you're willing to say, this is what I'm going to do. So a fast could be anything from, from hey, I'm going to do one meal a day. And I'm, gonna, I'm during that 30 minutes I would eat that meal, I'm going to go pray during that. I'm, I'm going to fast that meal. It may be one day. I, how many people would love to fast 30 days? A whole month. How many people would say, Pastor, I'd love to be able to tell people I fasted a month. Well, here's how you do it. Pick three days each month that you're going to fast. Just three days each month. And guess what? Three times 12 is what? 36. You fasted over a month in one year. You will have fasted. If you kind of have a few months that you just like, uh, I can't feel like doing three, I'm going to do two. You're still going to reach 30, 31. And if you want to do February, you can do 28. I fasted a month, February. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not complicated, but it's a plan. So in my life, as I fast, over the course of this, I, I fasted a month every year. And I do it because I just strategically say, hey, this Monday is going to be a day I'm fasting. This next, next, next day is going to be a day I'm fasting. Because here's what he says, moreover, when you fast, do not do like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they just figured their faces that they may appear to men to be fast. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. I'm really extreme on this. I, 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 I love fasting. 
I know it sounds crazy, but I love it. There's nothing in my life that draws me closer to God or closer. My mom taught that to me when I was growing up. She'd say, Tim, I pray about things. And if they don't work, she said, I pray and fast about things. And when I pray and fast about things, I don't worry about them anymore. And that was taught into me. So there are certain things I'll pray about for a while. And then it's like, you know what? That family, I'm going to start, I need to fast a day for them. Because after that, I'm not worried about it anymore. God, that's yours. I'm giving that to you. So, so in your life, this because I say to you, they have their reward. Those that disfigure their faces, those that do that. I, I'm kind of crazy about this. I'll even look up recipes while I'm fasting. My wife used to get so tickled at me. I, I'd sit there with a magazine like, ooh, look at that. Man, look how they, look at that hamburger right there they made, homemade and everything. And she's like, how can you look at recipes while you, I'm like, because when I come off of this thing, that's what I'm making. <laughs> it's like anything else. It won't last always. It will end. And when it ends, I'm, I'm coming out fighting. It doesn't mean you have to look sad like, oh, well, No. Hey, I get to spend some extra time with God because there's something really important. Don't worry, I'll go back to eating and complaining about how much I eat. But the fact is, is that do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to witness? Do you have a plan to witness? Let me give you a plan to witness. It's real simple. Here's how, here's how you need to do it. Would, would you do, if, 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 I, if I give you this, would you do it next week? Nobody's saying yes. I guess you just you just don't wait to hear what I say. Yes, Pastor, we will do it. Just just challenge us. Challenge us with something. Okay, I'm gonna give you a plan for witnessing. Tomorrow, the very first person you meet, first person you talk to, that you haven't normally talked that, that, that first person you meet, period. You witness to them. Tomorrow. You can even say, look, my pastor's making me do this. If that makes you feel better. If you walk into school tomorrow, the first kid you meet, hey, you know the Lord. What do you mean I know the Lord? Are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Let me tell you my story. And then I walk away and say, that dude's crazy. That's great. You're not, you're not, I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to ask. I just wanted to ask, do you know the Lord? That's the most important thing I'll ever ask you. We'll meet in eternity one day. Nobody's going to care about all the other questions I asked you. But do you know the Lord? It's a simple plan. If every day you got up and the first person you meet, you decided to witness to. You know what you would become? Very good at witnessing. For a lot of them, no good at it. I just start doing one every day. It's a plan. First person you bump into, if you bump into the same person again, you skip that one and go to the next person you meet. It's like, look, I didn't talk to you. Do I need to talk to you again? No, we're good. Good. We'll go to the next person I meet. Before long, you become good at witnessing. Go with me to Proverbs 16 and 1. 16 and 1. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. The preparations of the heart belong to who? Preparing my heart belongs to me. But the answer of the tongue is from, in other words, in my life, I may wrestle out a lot of things. I may speak in my heart a lot of things. 
Where people get in problems is, is that you want to speak everything you think. Let me tell you about your plans versus God's plans. Wrestle a lot of things out in your heart so that when you actually begin to speak, what you speak is what God says. So he says, listen to me, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue, what actually is going to happen, what actually will prevail is whatever God has told you to speak. Let me show it to you in another one. Go to Proverbs 16 and 9, a few verses later. Here's what it says. A man's heart plans his, his ways. Man's heart, plan, a heart says, here's where I want to go. I want to be a professional football player. I want to be this. I want to, I want to do that. I want to do all. Man, here's what I want. A man's heart plans his ways. But the Lord directs his steps. And the more you fight against the two, the more of a struggle you're going to have in church and in your church life and in your Christian walk. This was the battle between Moses and God. This is the battle between the children of Israel and God. This is the battle between Pharaoh and God. Pharaoh had done made up his mind. I'm not letting them go. And God told Moses, he said, Moses, you're going to tell Pharaoh what I've told him, that you're going to let my people go. Let them go. That's God. Let them go. And Pharaoh's going to say, no. And after the frogs and the water turning to blood and the locust and all the other stuff that I'm going to send, Pharaoh's going to, he's going to, ah, No. God says, listen to me, a man's heart plans his ways. But let me tell you something, God directs his steps. So when somebody comes on and says, here's how we're going to fix this, here's how we're going to, he may say a lot of things, but it's God who's going to direct the steps. It's God who's going to say, here's how it's going to happen. Here's the way it's going to work. And so in your life, this is the thing that the process that God wants from us. He wants us to be able to look at him and say, what's next? When, I, when I've reached the place of where I need to be, all that time I spent in the woods, all that, ultimately, that's all God's wanting from me. And you would think that I would just do it the first day. But no, I've got to complain and tell him all about the stuff I'm going through and you know how, how Lise don't love me like I think she should love me and my kids don't treat me the way I ought to treat me and how, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you're, just, you're just spilling all the stuff. If we're not careful, we stay in just spilling stuff. Anytime we talk to God, you pray today? Oh yeah, brother, I pray every day. What do you pray? I, I keep praying for him to fix this and I got a sister over here and I got this. To... That's not praying. When, when you've learned to cast all of that on him, because that's what he's told you to do, right? Cast all your cares on, because I clothe flowers and I feed birds, so why in the heck don't you think I'm going to take care of you? I, I, I do all that. So Tim, don't you think I got that? I don't know, God. I don't feel like you got it. Well, you need to keep walking, son. 
Do you feel like it now? I'm getting there. I'm either going to die in these woods or I'm going to come to the resolution. And finally, somewhere along the process, beside a rock crying or praying, finally breaking down or in my office or down here at this altar when I'm here, I'm like, God, I, I'm, I'm throwing all that on you. I've fasted about it. I've, I've, I've quoted your word over it. I've, I've done everything I can do. I've only got one thing to ask you, God. What's next? See, that's what Moses, remember Moses, we make it sound like it's funny, but he's not being funny. He's, he's fighting against God. God. He tells God, well, God, I can't go back and to, to Pharaoh and all them. You know, they, 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 I'm, I'm a wanted man. All those people are dead. They ain't looking for you no more. Well, but, but if I go and I tell them uh, who sent me, I don't know who I'm going to tell them sent me. You just tell them that I am sent you. But they're not going to believe me. You know, I'm just not, I'm an old stuttering old man. They're not going to believe me. Stick your hand in your jacket, Moses. Pull it out. What you got? Leprosy? Stick it back in. You're made whole. Take your stick, throw it down. Becomes a snake. Grab it by the tail. No, I don't think so. Grab it by the tail. Becomes your staff again. Moses, the only thing I need you to tell me is what's next. And we can sit here and keep doing this all day long. We can keep fussing about your kids. We can keep talking about what ain't right in the world. We can keep telling. But I'm in control. I never lost control. I just need you to finally come to the conclusion, Tim Lott. Okay, God, what's next? Number two. Now, this is going to be real quick. Problems have purpose then. All the stress and all the frustrations and everything you're going through right now, all that stuff you feel, some of it brought on because of what others did to you, some of it brought on what you did to yourself, but all the problems that you're facing are not meant to hurt you. They're meant to draw you, to cause you to release. Let me give you a few scriptures. Here's what it says. Romans 8 and 28. Just to let you know, I didn't make this stuff up. Here's what he says. And we know, look at the person beside you, know, all things work together to good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. It didn't say all things work for good or work as good. They work for good. Go with me to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Here's what Peter had to say about the situation. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various... Going through something? Enduring something? Having to deal with something? Paul, Peter says, that's not new. Verse 7. That the generousness of your faith, that the genuineness of your faith. So why am I going through this? So God says that you'll reach a point to where you'll look at me and realize I'm in control and all you're going to say is what you need me to do, God. Tim, am I in control? Yes. Build the camp. Tim, am I in control? Yes. 
by the land. But God, it's not a good time. It's not, Tim, are we going to go through this again? Do we need to have this conversation? No, Lord. Peter could write this scripture better than anybody because if I had two hours, we'd talk about all his, I got a plan. But Peter finally said that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious. To God, your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. The revelation of Jesus Christ isn't just when He comes. The revelation of Jesus Christ is every moment that you go through something that He reveals Himself, He shows Himself, and the only place you'll ever see it is in your trials. It's in your difficulties, it's in your fires, it's in this that your relationship with Christ, that the realness of Christ is shown. Let me show you one more. Go to 2 Corinthians. Here's Paul speaking it. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, and I'm through. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by... Remember what I told you? What am I doing? I'm trying to make my physical keep up with my... And God says, the only way I can keep your physical up with your spiritual is I have to punish it. Not intentionally to hurt you but to force you, to force it to keep up. Reading is punishment. You got to sit there and you got to keep your eyes open. You got to wear glasses. You got to, as I am, getting thicker glasses. And you got to like, this, this reading stuff's getting tiring. And, 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 and I've always had what they call sleepy eye. So I read for about 20 or 30 minutes and, and I'm literally, I can take a nap. It's like, I mean, literally, I, I can take my glasses off and because it's, it, it affects me that way. It, it, it's just the way it all. So I don't lead, read in long stints. I'm not going to sit there for four hours. I'll read for 20, 30 minutes. I'll get up and walk the campus a little bit. Then I'll go back and study some more and read, walk the campus. I have to. I wish I could sit there for four hours, but it's not the way I'm built. But listen, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though this outward is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for the light affliction. The light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. God is in control. He's wanting you to come to grips with it. He's wanting you to realize, I'm not losing the battle. Moses, I'm fixing to set the people free. Oh, and by the way, I'm sending you to do it. Hey, I'm going to change your family. Great, God. I'll be glad my wife finally gets her my act together. But I'm sending you to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to change your job culture. Thank God. We need a revival in there. And I'm going to send you to do it. No, I'm going to quit. God says, no, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to use you. Number three, God is speaking future. This is the one thing you need to learn about God. I want you to say this to the person beside you. It's very important. I really want you to say this, so don't, 
don't just keep your head down or anything. I want you to look up and I want you to know this one statement very truly. God, look at them and say, God is always speaking future over your present. What you want to do is have a conversation with God about what's going on. But God, every time He speaks, will tell you where you're going to be. And where He's called you to be. So if you want to say, let's say me and Elise are having our spats, and I'm like, God, I'm telling you, you're going to have to do something. Either Elise has lost her salvation or something's not right. You're going to have to fix it. And I'm telling you, I can't take much more of this. And God, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm bailing now. I'm telling you, I can't, you're going to have to do something. God then is going to speak to my future. He's going to say, well, Tim, then you, you need to get some counseling and you need to, you need to find a book and you all need to do a workbook together. Oh, no, God, I just, I just need you to fix it. God will always speak future to your present. So what you don't like about your present right now, listen to me, if it's God, He's going to tell you where you're supposed to be pushing for. Moses, you don't like the children of Israel being there. You don't like, I don't either. Guess what? It's time for you to go and deal with it. Let me give you a scripture that will make sense in this. Hebrews 11 and 1. Here's what it says. Now faith, which is the only thing God is moved by. Now faith is the substance of things so the substance is the actions that I'm doing. I'm acting out what I'm hoping will happen. It has to have a tangible substance. So somebody says, what are you hoping for? What I'm walking toward. What I'm walking toward is what I'm hoping for. It's... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm the evidence. Moses is the evidence standing there in front of Pharaoh saying, let them go. How are you doing that? By faith. Oh, don't worry, you will let them go. Because God said it. Therefore, it's going to happen. That much I know. If God said it, I believe it. If God said it, it's done. Will you stand? Man, I missed you guys. There may be somebody in this room today that was where I was at in these woods the last few days. And I know you got to get to class and, and I don't want to hold you up. And if you need to start bailing for class and get to your class, I understand. But maybe you're the person that would be like me that, you know what? That's not where I need to be right now. I keep speaking my present over God. Keep speaking my present. And I'm going to share this, and it's very personal. 
I talk a lot of times that, you know, my strength is not just speaking or communicating. I don't have a lot, do a lot of small talk. I, I, I grew up where small talk can get you in trouble living in a preacher's home in a parsonage. So you learn, if you don't say nothing, they can't use it against you. And so you just learn not to talk a lot. Just be quiet. Well, that was good in some ways. But now I have three kids, a daughter-in-law. And, and one of the things I long for in this next season of my life, as a lot of the other seasons are coming and going, is relationship. And so God says to me, just what I just said to you. Tim, quit telling me where you're at. God, I don't feel like, I, they don't talk to me. They don't, I don't feel like we have any close, I don't feel like, I know they love me. I love them. We're not talking about that. But there's something missing. You know how you feel when something's missing? Maybe it wasn't important 10 years ago, but now it's done rose itself to the top of the list. It's, it's important now. And I'm like, God, I don't know why this and, 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 and Lord, I, I do good. I try to love them. I show them I love them. I, I do all the stuff. I can do everything I can. I've, I've, I've raised them. I've, I've done everything. And you know what God does? He said, I want you to sit down and I want you to write a card to every one of them. And I'm like, God, I don't write. I don't even know how to pick out cards. I don't, I'm not good at that. So part of my trip was me going into Dollar Generals and Walmarts and everywhere I could go looking for cards. One for Lexi and one for Taylor. And, and I'm like, they're going to think this is dumb. They're going to think this, they may do it. It's not important to them. I need you to act in faith. I got faith. No, no. I needed you to act. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that you don't see yet. I need you to move. And I'll tell you where to move. I'll tell you. But I need you to move. Maybe you're in this room today and for you, it's time to move. Well, that sounds low. I just need God to fix it. I know. But God needs you to move. Maybe it's just, just hug somebody's neck. Maybe it's just, just love them where they're at. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, I don't know what God will speak to you at that job situation. I don't know what God, but he's saying, I just need you to move. And if you'll move, faith moves me. If you're in this room today, you're going to want to bring to God your present. What's going on? And you can tell him a thousand times what's going on. 
But what you need to do is in the process of saying, God, I know I've told you this a thousand times. I'm just going to be quiet now. And I have only one thing to say to you. What's next? What's next? What is it you want me to do that may seem insignificant and small? Like it's unimportant, but it's the next thing. God, I'm ready. Just speak to me. And if that's you in this room today and you say, Pastor, that's me. And I want you to know this altar is open right now for you because God is here. I feel His presence as strong as I felt it in all the days I was walking. I feel it just as strong. And He's waiting for you to just with ears that can hear say, God, what's next? I hear it. If you're here today and that's you, and you say, I need something to break there. God says, don't you know I've heard the cries of my people? Don't you know I've, I've heard their prayers? Don't you know I've heard? And now... I'm fixing to deliver them. And I'm going to send you. I'm sending you. Father, I pray that this message will hit home to that person. And I speak that God right now, those that are in this altar are hearing your voice. Your voice of what's next. What's next? What's next? As they continue to pray and others are coming and as this praise team just begins to sing, may the Lord bless you as you get to your class and move on through your week. I don't want to disturb anything God is doing right here because sometimes you just have to sit there a while. It takes a while sometimes to get just the complaining and the junk out of me because it just keeps coming back to my mind every time I it just keeps rushing back I have to keep pushing it back like Moses and keep coming out with the excuses and run out of them until God finally says are you through let's go may the Lord bless you you're dismissed